This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Hello, how's it going, guys? It's good. How, how's our sound quality? Sounds fantastic. Okay, and we've also got a backup microphone here, too. Have you checked the level on this microphone? Yes, it's All right. So I have Alex and Perry Ann here. Um, and you know who Perry Ann is? I do, yes, uh, of the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Right. Hello. Lovely to meet you, Perry Ann. Uh, so it's Perry, Perry Ann Boring? That's correct. And, um, yeah, it's great that you have an actual practitioner in this conversation. What did you want to achieve? First of all, it's great to meet you. Uh, great to meet you, Don. So what I wanted to ask you guys about was the scope and purpose of the Muskoka Blockchain Governance Workshop and, uh, and where the idea or the inspiration for hosting a, a governance workshop came from. And that's, we're going to talk about that for 45 minutes. What I really want to uh, show the audience is that there are there is a large group of people who are actively thinking about uh, governance of uh, of public blockchains, and uh, and I want to because I presume that that is what you guys are talking about is the the governance of public blockchains with the Ethereum fork and the issues with Bitcoin scaling in the rearview well not not Bitcoin scaling in the rearview mirror. And so I'd like to you know, show the audience that there's a group of people thinking about this and, uh, and actively working, developing solutions. Sure. Okay. Well, before we get started, maybe I'll, I can do some introductory remarks. Then um, we could throw it over to Alex, who actually wrote a paper giving his and our views, as did uh, the last chapter of the book, Blockchain Revolution, about how to... How, what we need to do to move forward. And then you have Perry Ann, who's actually doing it, who's built an important organization that is part of the overall governance ecosystem. And we can hear from her about why she did that and, and uh, how that's going. That sounds like a perfect structure. Great. Hey, Arthur, how are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. It's good to hear from you, Alex. Yes, good to hear from you too. So, uh, so do, would, do you want to open uh, open with um, some remarks, Don? Well, if you look at the state of the nation when it comes to digital currencies and blockchain, um, there is trouble. We have a powerful new set of technologies here that can transform potentially every institution in society. And there are all kinds of exciting opportunities underway. Um, but there is some confusion around a number of issues and a number of impediments that are slowing things down. And the recent challenges with, the, with uh, how to scale Bitcoin, how to increase the block size, the issue of the DAO, the Distributed Autonomous Organization, and what to do. Uh, about the fact that someone did something unanticipated with the code. Uh, recent articles, for example, from the CTO Ripple, saying that blockchains are a bad idea. 
um, we need as a community to come together and find a way to steward this resource. Now, to be clear, we're not talking about government and we're not talking about some kind of uh, top-down management or governance of this ecosystem. We're talking about self-organization, which is the right way to govern a community and a resource like this. And we have some great examples of other resources, a key one being the first era of the Internet. And the first era, the Internet of Information, is not governed by nation-states or by um, nation-state-based institutions like the UN or the World Bank or the you name it. It's governed by a series of networks that are multi-stakeholder that involve individuals, a civil society like academics, NGOs, uh, the private sector, And governments can be involved, too. They don't control things or run things, but they participate. And it works. There are problems, but it works overall. And when it comes to the blockchain world, we're still immature. And we don't have those kinds of networks and organizations in place. So an issue comes up about, you know, how to increase the block size. There's not even a language let alone a taxonomy or a process or an organization to really sort that through uh, in an effective way. So we're uh, here in Muskoka, uh, Canada's uh, or Ontario's sort of cottage country north of Toronto uh, on a beautiful lake. And we brought together a number of important uh, people in this industry. Um, we're not self-proclaiming as the new leaders or something like that. We're just one of a number of uh, groups of people who are coming together in an informal way to try and figure out what are the big problems and what might be done uh, to move this whole ecosystem forward. So, Alex, do you want to sure. pick it up? Yeah, glad to. <clears throat> so, in planning this event up north here in, in Canada, We wanted to make sure that all of the different sides of this burgeoning new industry were represented in some form or another. And I think too often in the world of blockchain, people fall into these crypto cliques or these crypto camps where they're furiously debating an issue in, say, the Bitcoin um, ecosystem or furiously debating an issue in the Ethereum um, ecosystem not aware that the same challenges, like, say, how to address technical standards issues, such as the block size debate, actually apply more broadly to the ecosystem as a whole. And that, in fact, beyond the world of public blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum, there's a whole new constellation of implementations of this technology which aren't necessarily private or proprietary um, that are, and aren't necessarily public, but rather straddle the boundaries, such as the Hyperledger project that is being spearheaded by IBM and the, the Linux Foundation. So in planning this event, we wanted to make sure that, A, we had clear representation from the world of Bitcoin, and uh, I think we've achieved that, um, representation from the world of Ethereum, representation from the private or consortium blockchain world, and also representation from some of the groups that today are actually trying to solve a number of really important problems. Because when you look at governance, I think a lot of people say, 
well, public blockchains govern themselves through rough consensus and running code. And certainly that's a, a great um, ethos for governing an ecosystem like this, but it's not a way to actually organize a governance ecosystem. Things like technical standards are, are only one of probably a dozen different issues that need to be resolved. Um, there's the question of uh, delivering services, for example. There's no organization really uh, that's organized to do that. The establishment of policy or the advocacy of policy, for that matter, in the halls of government, both in the United States and globally. Um, again, we're only seeing the early stages of that, and there are some important groups up here, such as the Chamber of Digital Commerce, uh, that we've invited to represent that side of the ecosystem. Um, there are questions around education and advocacy to the general public uh, about issues of neutrality, uh, much as in the same way as there is the issue of neutrality with the internet. And um, it's those kinds of groups that I think are still in their very nascent stages. Um, so our hope, as Don said, is not to come up with some new organization here or some new you know, leadership structure, but rather to get people in this industry who we think represent some of its most important parts, thinking and talking and interacting and collaborating to try and develop um, a system for governing this important resource. Um, I mentioned the issue of policy, and um, it's, it's really important for us that we had someone here who really understood that. And uh, Perry Ann, who's, who's here with us on this call, is the lead of the uh, Chamber for Digital Commerce uh, founder and its CEO. And she's been instrumental in bringing together a lot of different stakeholders and really raising the profile of blockchain in Washington, D.C., and increasingly in other areas as well, including Canada. So I'm going to hand it over to Perry Ann to talk a little bit about that. Thank you very much, Alex. And, and thank you, Dawn, uh, and your family for putting together this incredibly important and special gathering for the community. It's truly exciting to get to be uh, among the, the ranks of these important conversations. And I'm going to talk just a little bit about you know, the Chamber's approach to governance. And I know for some, this is a, a contentious topic. How do you regulate a decentralized ecosystem? And at the Chamber, our mission our, our motto, our approach to governance is regulate by function and very much never touching the protocol itself. So uh, as Alex mentioned, public blockchains govern themselves. And I think many people in this ecosystem uh, truly believe that. Uh, we very much advocate for not touching the, the protocol itself from a regulatory perspective. I'm talking from legal frameworks. Uh, however, regulating the applications on top so the, the touch points like the exchanges or the payment processors or the wallet providers or the actual companies, the entities that are offering products and services to consumers or other customers. Now, from a global perspective, how do you do that effectively? And uh, the Chamber of Digital Commerce is based in Washington, D.C. Uh, we launched just over two years ago, and we're still the only trade association that is in D.C. that is solely focused on blockchain issues. And so we have built relationships over the past several years with over 19 agencies and departments on the federal level. And that in itself is more than a full-time job for, for my team. And we're incredibly built, uh, busy uh, cultivating those relationships with the consumer regulators, with law enforcement, with the bank regulators and the securities and the commodities regulators. Uh, and much of our work to date has been very educational. What is this technology? In the early days, there's a lot of anxiety. Now we're starting to enter conversations from a global perspective. Many of the members of the chamber are global companies 
and they have operations all around the world. So we very much recognize that you can't look at this through one country, but it has to have interoperability around the world for the technology to truly be seamless and to be uh, useful in, in, in a broad sense. Uh, so we formed and launched earlier this year an initiative called the Global Blockchain Forum. And this is our international channel, and it's the way that we are approaching uh, oversight through uh, an international perspective. And we have four key ways in which we approach global governance. Um, the first is local partnerships. Uh, two is share information. Three is collaborate. And four is global framework. So uh, local partnerships, number one. Um, instead of the chamber trying to be like the global dominating force around the world, we very much believe in recruiting local experts in each jurisdiction who are heavily invested and interested in the technology and who work regularly with the, uh, the regulators and public policymakers in that particular jurisdiction. So, for, uh, and we even see this in the United States as you have states to states, uh, so much of regulation and public policy is relationship driven. So it's, it's important that we recruit folks who are on the ground around the world who have those personal relationships and connections. And, and so the first part is forming local partnerships. And then once we form that partnership, we share information. So our partnership is all about you have cultivated relationships in your area of jurisdiction, and we have done it here in the U.S., and then we share that information with each other. That way, the folks in the United States understand what's going on in Japan, in Singapore, in Australia, and, and vice versa. And then three is collaborate. So as we've been building these partnerships around the world, so much information and so many new thoughts and ideas just come to the table as these different uh, bodies are collaborating, which... Um, Give us the opportunity to, one, uh, form consensus around key definitions, terminology, basic communication with public policymakers and other officials. Um, and over, over time, when the industry is ready to mature, we'll move into actual international standards. Uh, but again, tapping into that local talent is how we see an, an effective way to, to share and, and, and govern from a global perspective. And it's, again, it's not about regulating the code itself. It's about ensuring that public policymakers have correct information. That way, if they're going to form new laws or they're going to apply existing laws to the companies that are building applications, they're doing so with full information. So let me comment on that and what the chamber is doing by using the framework and taxonomy that... Uh, that we've been building over the last few years. And just an, and and I think it might show how it's good to have a language and a structure and a taxonomy to be able to talk about all this. So by way, uh, parenthetically, for the last uh, four years, I've been running a uh, $4 million research project on new models of global problem solving and governance. And we've been exploring how these multi-stakeholder networks or as we call them, global solution networks, can help us solve problems in the world and govern resources in ways that the UN or other state-based institutions can't. And if you look at the <clears throat> today's internet, as Alex was describing, there are uh, probably seven or eight different types of these networks that are functioning. Around standards, you have the, the ITF, the Internet Engineering Task Force. There's the W3C Consortium. You have knowledge networks like the Internet Society. There are advocacy 
networks like the Electronic Frontier Foundation. There are operational and delivery networks that just do stuff like ICANN. They deliver domain names. You have uh, policy networks like the Internet, uh, uh, Internet Governance Forum. And uh, as I was saying, the, the second generation of the Internet based on blockchain is quite immature when it comes to that. So here we have Perianne that took this great initiative to create the Chamber of Digital Commerce and um, an organization that began as one of those types, essentially an advocacy network in the whole world of uh, blockchain and digital currencies. But as you can see from her description of what um, the chamber is doing, it's now getting into the knowledge sharing. Um, it's starting to touch upon the creation of standards. And it's doing um, some of the other things. So you can imagine the digital chamber emerging as, uh, as what we might call a governance network that performs a number of these different functions and plays an important coordination role. Uh, in the world. So it's very important for the attendees here at the Muskoka Blockchain Workshop to hear from her and what she's uh, doing and, and for her to hear, for all of us to hear from everybody else so that we can start to identify what are the big problems that need to be resolved and then what are the gaps and how might we take some kind of initiative to uh, help uh, move the ball forward. So what do you anticipate to be the communication gaps that, uh, that currently exist that may not have been identified and that you may identify at this, at this workshop? Well, maybe I'll step in here. Um, I, said, I said earlier that we wanted to uh, make sure that every side of the industry was represented and that everyone was talking to each other because the problems that affect the Bitcoin blockchain ecosystem are not separate from those that affect any other part of this ecosystem. And that through collaboration, we might be able to achieve more than if everyone's working independently. In terms of communicate, so the hope there is just to build bridges and strengthen connections between different parts of the industry so that we can come up with a multi-stakeholder solution rather than one that's only spearheaded by one group or the other. Our hope here, Arthur, among other things, is to help get a clear understanding of what people view as the biggest problems in this industry. What are the things that are challenging them in their ability to build a business, to interact with government, to develop technology, etc.? It's an area that um, is has lots of good material, put it to you that way. In fact, um, so many problems or so many potential problems exist that we dedicated an entire chapter to the book uh, on them. It was called Showstoppers, Why Blockchain Might Fail. But it was in that chapter that we went through each of these, and I expect that people will bring some of these up and perhaps even more. Questions like, the technology is not ready for prime time. The energy consumption is unsustainable. Uh, that criminals might use it or that governments might stifle it, etc. These are the types of challenges that we approached. And uh, Don and I put a lot of thought towards this and asked ourselves, are these reasons that blockchain is a bad idea? And we've seen, in fact, a couple of them come up as reasons why certain people think they're a bad idea, including uh, the CTO of Ripple, uh, brought up one of these issues, basically, that it's ungovernable, ungovernable. And we decided, well, no, it's not a reason that blockchain's a bad idea, but rather it's an implementation challenges that need to be overcome. 
we, we're not expecting to solve every problem, but rather to get a clear understanding of what those problems are and to begin that conversation, um, that sort of cross-pollination of ideas between different groups. So we have the Chamber of Digital Commerce. This bridges the gap between the, uh, the, the, stat- the organizational status quo that we're, that we're used to, but we have to somehow bring all of these different interests together and, and very different types of technology. A, a consortium or permissioned blockchain is a very different kind, it's a very different beast from a, a public blockchain. So how do you feel these, uh, these two technologies can be advocated for uh, as, a, uh, as a single unit? Or do, do you feel that they can? Well, I don't think they can be advocated for as a single unit, but I think they can. Um, it's they're both part of a spectrum of technology that together there are a lot of overlapping governance questions. And so, I'm not suggesting that public blockchain. We approach the the policy making around public blockchains in exactly the same way that you would around private ledgers, but rather that there are a lot of areas of common interest and a lot of common challenges that the two might face. And also, don't forget that advocacy is one of the 10 types of networks that come together to create a governance ecosystem. But there are standards, there's policy, there's delivery of certain uh, functionality, um, there is uh, knowledge and education, there are all kinds of different functions that come together as part of an ecosystem. How do you uh, how do you intend to engage with the uh, the existing cryptocurrency community, which is uh, can be a fickle beast? Yeah, I mean that's a very good question. And at the chamber, we're we're agnostic towards these different types of technologies because, from a legal perspective, they all have public policy issues. And for us, we're very much promoting innovation, promoting. Uh, growth of the ecosystem and and uh, very much advocate for a light touch or a uh, a flexible regulatory environment. So while we're on the ground based in DC uh, every single day, pounding the pavement with the regulators and the members of Congress who are interested in this, we're really helping again um, address the anxiety that we're, we see uh, amongst regulators and law enforcement and public policymakers. That way, we can take the attention away from some of the, the negative um, you know, headlines and scandals we saw in some of the early days of cryptocurrency. That way we can allow uh, the businesses, the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the CEOs to focus on building new innovative pro- products without the fear of regulatory risk. So for us, it's, it's very much um, an inclusive approach. We, we welcome all different types of innovation. We think a healthy economy and healthy ecosystem includes incredible amounts of diversity and that every different type of client or company or entity is going to have different wants and needs. And in a healthy ecosystem, you have variety. The same thing that I'm looking for is not going to be the exact same thing that meets uh, what Don needs and what Alex needs or what a bank needs or what an exchange needs or what a healthcare company needs. So again, you need that diversity. And this is the purpose of a trade association. So within the chamber, we have over 50 members and we're growing very rapidly but many of our members are in competition with each other, and that is fine. And that's the purpose of a trade association is to bring these different folks together and find issues of common ground and then work on those problems. And from an ecosystem perspective, 
We have many big picture industry issues that no one company is big enough to tackle on their own. And a big piece of that is just basic education. You know, what, what is cryptocurrency? What is virtual currency? What's the difference between digital currency and virtual currency? How do you explain a public blockchain versus a private blockchain? What's distributed ledger technology? What are smart contracts? These are some like very basic foundational educational issues that need to be addressed. That's very easy from a trade association's perspective to start tackling. And again, it's in the entire industry's interest to have basic education laid in DC, but also amongst the greater business community to enhance adoption. So there are a lot of uh, common areas that we can come together on, especially in these early days where there is such a big education gap in, in DC, but also through the broader public. I think the one way of looking at this ecosystem is it's kind of like the blindfolded person and the elephant. And um, what we're trying to do is understand the whole ele elephant here. Whereas today we've had initiatives that look at different parts. The blindfolded person looks at the elephant and they see uh, standards. Uh, and and uh, someone else looks at the elephant and they see a need for, for advocacy and, and avoiding bad regulation. Someone else looks at it and they see the need for education. And, and, uh, and, or you grab another part of the elephant and you see a need to develop sophisticated uh, policies. And somebody else looks at the elephant and sees a need to build platforms to help roll this uh, ecosystem out. And that's the importance of having a conceptual framework and a taxonomy. So we're going to be discussing that uh, based on the, the taxonomy that we've, we've been working on over the last few years um, so we can better identify what are the gaps and, and what needs to be done. On a second uh, question that you raised, I mean, blockchain and digital currencies are like the first era of the Internet in, in the sense that all of these different types of governance networks will be required to steward this resource and make it move forward. But they're very different in another way, is that you have one internet, you know, <laughs> whereas with blockchains, you have different blockchains that are quite different. The extreme case being permission versus uh, permissionless. So in some ways, we're, we're looking at building a, a set of overlapping ecosystems, perhaps um, an, an Ethereum standards kind of network and, and a Bitcoin standards network. And then overall, there could be networks that, that sort of subsume uh, both of those and, and help both of those environments move forward along with the many other environments uh, that exist. So this is, it's because it's so complicated, it's really important that we have a language, that we have a framework to be able to talk about this. And that's going to be a key part of what we're bouncing around in the next few days. Language is self-organizing, you know, human language. There was no central committee of the English language that said that this uh, coffee I'm holding uh, is in a mug. It just kind of happened. And the same thing is happening here. And it's understandable that we'd start off and we'd have very few words in our vocabulary to be able to communicate about what is to be done. So a big cha challenge is to develop the informal language and the sort of conceptual frameworks and I use this word taxonomy because I think it's important. I know people go to sleep when you say taxonomy. It sounds like bugs. <laughs> but um, 
but it's important because the tail is different than the trunk of an elephant. And you need to know what the differences are if you're going to be helpful in stewarding your elephant resources forward. What, uh, what terms in, partic- in particular do you find uh, sticking points for, for these discussions? Well, I'll start off. So I think actually the biggest taboo or the biggest sticking point in this whole world is the word governance itself. Because people, especially those who come at this from the public blockchain world, as I mentioned earlier, probably ascribe to the mantra from the first generation of the internet, which is that we reject kings, we reject voting, uh, we reject hierarchies, we believe in rough consensus and running code. And the word governance itself, to them, brings up notions of government control or regulations or hierarchies or some kind of process that might restrict their creativity as coders and, and as developers. And it's quite the opposite. Um, and it's in, in destigmatizing this word itself, if we're able to do that, could be one of the great achievements of this weekend. Um, because governance, as Don said, not only is it better and more effective if it's self-organizing, it's more legitimate if it's self-organizing. So it's in no means and in no way is our intention to come at this from a position of us wanting to, you know, go to the top of the mountain mountain and uh, deliver an edict to the people. It's quite the opposite. Uh, as Don said, just to provide some foundational language to think about this ideas and maybe even to um, give the language of governance, which is already well established in the world of computing, especially around the Internet, a place and a home in, in this ecosystem as well. So right now on planet Earth, there's a governance network emerging around climate change. And there are countless standards organizations, advocacy groups, educational groups, there are policy networks, there are operational and delivery networks that are just out there doing stuff, picking up oil spills. There are many different types of multi-stakeholder networks. There are also governments involved as well and and state-based institutions on a global scale. The difference between that and the ecosystem that governs the first era of the internet is a very small one. It's it's one of self-awareness. If you go to somebody in the ITF and you say, what are you doing here? They're going to say, we're doing standards for the internet. If you push them, why are you doing that? They're going to say, Well, we're doing that because we're part of the overall ecosystem that is stewarding or governing the Internet. Whereas if you go to someone on the, uh, you know, the uh, Alliance for Climate Protection and you say, what are you doing? They're going to say, we're an advocacy group. We're fighting to change government policy. And they're not going to say we're part of the global governance network for the climate because there's not yet an awareness that that's what's occurring. So if you look at the blockchain ecosystem, there are very few um, uh, organizations that are actually being impactful. I mean, the Chamber of Digital Commerce is one. We've done an inventory of them all. I think we've got about 50 counted and categorized uh, so far. But if you go to, you know, one of these... uh, uh, you know, organizations that's uh, based in New York and they're trying to do uh, blockchain, whatever, they're not going to say we're part of the ecosystem that is helping to steward this resource and govern 
this next generation of the internet, they're going to be very focused on we're doing what we're doing. So it's like moving it from the 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 specific activities of organizations to the sort of conceptual level where people get it that there are a whole bunch of pieces to um, that are re- required. You need the whole elephant to move this this uh, party forward. What these two different examples, or three different examples, the internet, blockchain, and also uh, global climate you know, solution uh, advocacy, I, I suppose, or, or awareness advocacy, what they all have in common is that this is a common resource. It's, uh, it's a new issue that's being faced, and it's something that isn't, we are not able to tackle using what we traditionally think of as governance, which is a large governing body like a nation or the UN, right? The United Nations. So what is it about these, uh, what is it about these specific examples that lends them to this, uh, the sign of self-organized and fragmented uh, approach of government that, that ultimately needs to be reconciled? Well, the biggest thing is that they're global. You know, people think about something like pollution as being a local thing. But if you go Google pollution and NASA map, you'll see a a global, a rotating uh, globe showing the flow of pollution around the world. Pollution is a global problem. And we're organized by nation states, which are kind of like the wrong size for addressing global problems or for governing global resources. Now, that's not to say there isn't a role for the UN or the World Bank or the IMF or the G8 or the G20 or the GATT or the WTO or UNESCO or the you name it. But increasingly, problems are global. Secondly, we have the rise of the private sector now as an important player in society. Look at the chamber. I mean, that's, it's a multi-stakeholder network, but companies are the foundation of that. You've also got the rise of the civil society. Bretton Woods in 1944, there was no civil society. There were 50 NGOs in the whole world. And, and um, ironically, you also have the rise of the internet, which enables new kinds of collaborations globally to, in turn, solve problems and govern resources, one of them being the internet itself. So all of these have come together at this critical time And it provides us with a whole new set of tools and resources to be able to ensure that that the second generation of the Internet is stewarded in an effective, bottom-up, collaborative, open, and and high-performance way. So we're in the early days on this, and we're hoping to make some progress in the next couple of days. Okay, I, we're just about to run out of time, and I know it's uh, this is really the uh, the beginning of a of a conversation that was really started by a lot of these smaller organisations, uh, among them the Chamber of Digital Commerce. Uh, what are the outcomes that you guys are, are hoping to experience? The measurable outcomes at the end of this uh, this event? We don't know, truthfully. Um, as you meant, as you correctly said, this is the very early stages. If we're able to build bridges of communication and trust between different groups, and if we're able to embrace a a new language of governance and to agree and to reach consensus that this is an important thing that needs to be done in order to steward this resource, then I think we've um, taken an important first step on what I'm sure will be a very long journey. And the results could range from 
that it was just great to get to know each other better to uh, maybe we'll decide that we want to create a statement or, or publish a little uh, report on an outcome. Further down the continuum, we might launch a project. We might um, decide that we want to commit uh, renewed resources to some of the existing organizations um, that are working in this area. Uh, we might decide that uh, we think a new entity uh, is required and think about how to uh, hold a bigger event that could bring in all the, uh, the key uh, stakeholders. Uh, we'll probably uh, have some good networking that will catalyze some good initiatives. Uh, there'll be some new friendships. We're going to eat some great food. And uh, we're going to enjoy this beautiful, magical uh, Muskoka uh, country and, and, uh, and lake. Yeah, and for us at the Chamber, we're very interested in having a better understanding of the Canadian blockchain community. There's a lot of Canada-based companies that are here. So for us, it's important to better understand the state of the regulatory environment to help us uh, better coordinate between uh, the United States and Canada. Well, fantastic. Perianne, ann Don, Alex, it's been great having you uh, on the show. And I look forward to seeing <laughs> what comes out of it. This is, uh, this is really exciting. And don't forget, uh, tomorrow, 11 a.m., the TED Talk is released. Really? 50 million people are going to learn about the blockchain. I, yeah, you know what I'll do? I'll, uh, I'll get this edited and see if I can get it out on Friday and, uh, and get a link to it in there. Great. Thanks so much. Hey, no worries. Thanks. This has been the Ether Review. Visit etherreview.info for more episodes, email contact at etherreview.info or follow us on Twitter at etherreview.info.